I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rock and roll has replaced faith, or rather is faith. and welcome to the Paul Ryder Tapes. As we all know, Paul, who was a founding member and bass player of Manchester Legends Happy Mondays, tragically passed away in July of 2022. But in the months leading up to his death, he sat down with me, his ex-wife, Angela Smith, to tell his complete life story for the very first time. We had no idea that he was about to die and we finished recording his story just 12 days before he passed away. This is part nine of his story. Coming up in this episode. Nathan said they were thinking of getting Debbie Harry, so I said, I'm joining back again. I'm not wondering. Imagine Debbie Harry replacing me. She used to have to look out the car window and look at the police, make sure the police aren't coming. That's terrible. I said to Linda, oh, I don't know what they're doing. I think they're having an orgy or something. But I can't go, go. Well, cocaine has become the the champagne of, of the creative classes. And it's strange. It's the one thing that stops you doing good work. Been promoted from heroin to crack. Brilliant. And you know what? The funny thing is, I've actually been back to Barbados on holiday. And I can't believe what a great place it is. <laughs> So your marriage is broken up, Pills and Thrills has been released. Mm-hmm. Um, you've moved back in with your mum and dad. Mm-hmm. You've finally got custody of your children. Yeah. How did that work, living with your mum and dad? Did they take over the majority of the childcare because you were just focusing on your band and heroin at the time? How did, how yeah, was I was still busy with the band and they, they took over parenting. Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, remembers those times only too well. Sometimes I don't know how we got through it because we always had to think of the children. So you just had to... If I thought, I'd probably have ended up breaking down myself, but you've got to think 
of the children. And I still had to work. I still had to carry on with with children in my work. So it was very, very hard. And you keep on a brave face. How did that feel for you? Did you notice that you weren't really there as a dad at that point? Well, I took them to school, and if I was around, I'd pick them up from school. Right. And but I'd, emotionally... take, I'd take uh, Jacob to football. Right. But emotionally, emotion, emotions, yeah. I, I wasn't there. Obviously, I was just numb and dead. And how does that make you feel now when you look back on that? You know, I've, got, I've still got guilt about it, but I've had seven years' worth of therapy and I've worked through a lot of this stuff. Right. Have you made amends to your kids? For I, I make a living amends to them. What does that mean? I stay sober right. one day at a time. Right. But in terms of your relationships with your children now? With very your two, good. Especially your two older children. Yeah, we have like? very good relationships with both of them. Yeah. Very, very good. Do you think they've forgiven you? I think so, yeah. What do you think the worst thing was that you did? Um, you... Okay, if I'm brutally honest, smoking heroin in the car with Amelia there, mm -hmm. with the windows up so the, the wind wouldn't blow the heroin smoke away. Wow. I know she has memories of you taking her. Uh, I, I, she used to have to look out the car window and look at the police, make sure the police aren't coming. That's terrible. How old was she then? Four. That's really, that's really a really extreme. I mean, like, how do you process that? Seven years worth of therapy. Yeah. It took a long time. Yeah. It took a long, I know long she's time. She's had a lot of help around it too. Mm -hmm. She's really good now. Yeah, she's now a therapist. Yeah. Mhm. Mm but the. The implications to everyone around you of being a heroin addict mm. are so intense and immense. Yeah. It's it's just it really it doesn't just destroy your life; it destroys the life. Oh, of it's insidious! It's yeah. a sneaky, horrible disease. We're going to be talking to Paul's daughter Amelia in next week's episode and hear from her how she feels about all of this. I'm going to jump in and tell this story because it's kind of relevant to what you just said, but. Um, Sonny was a baby we just had Sonny mm -hmm. and I was working I was going to work every day because I had my production company mm -hmm. and you were at home with the baby and um, you were largely you were trying to stay clean there were the odd slip here and there mm -hmm. um, but I, I felt like it was safe enough to leave the baby with you because you seemed to be on the straight and narrow and then uh he did a gig. Mm. <laughs> it was at a club in Manchester. Yeah, and I you were on you were on stage. Yeah. And your drug dealers, who I'd met when I'd taken you out of the drug house a mm -hmm. couple of times, mm -hmm. I caught eyes with. She was in the crowd, and she caught eyes with me. And she came bounding over to me, and she said, "How are you, love?" She <laughs> said, "Oh, your baby's lovely." <laughs> and I. Oh, my God, I just lost it. Mm. Obviously, that told me that you'd taken Sonny in the back of the car as a four-month-old baby mm. to go and get heroin. And from that moment onwards, we got Betty in, didn't we? Yeah. Because I couldn't trust you with the kids anymore. Insidious disease. 
Lie, cheat, was... steal. You do anything so to get bad. your drugs. Yeah. And I anything. felt really guilty as a mother because I'd put my kid in danger by trusting you. Hmm. But that's why we ended up with... Your mum ended up working for us. So you'd be at home and then we'd have a childminder come, to come in and mind the children while I worked. And I was the third child. Yeah, the giant baby. The giant baby. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> it's it's half twelve. Come on, it's let's do it. Too no, fucking hot. Have a little break and then we'll do it's another ten hot. minutes. You sure? Have yeah. you got what questions you're going to ask? We need to move on. <laughs> Keep recording, Stephen. Um, do you find it hard talking about this stuff? No. no. I think it's really brave of you. I think it's really brave and really um, big of you to share it and not to be glamorizing it ain't glamorous no it's just not glamorous no it just shows what a, what a horrible disease addiction is yeah you need to talk later about how you stop like i know it's hard but it is possible 13 rehabs and eight goals of ibogaine well, it ain't goes about it again. Yeah, I used to do it on bound, didn't I, in France? Yeah. And in the You need to talk about going to Prague as well. Oh, God. Yeah. You're riding high professionally, mm -hmm. but you're riding pretty low personally. Yeah. But you don't think you are. No. Not when you're in it, you don't think you're in it. No. So then the next step for the Mondays was to do a new, a Tony Michaelides was a record promoter who worked for Factory back in the day and promoted a lot of the early Mondays records. He also had a Piccadilly radio show under the name Tony the Greek. It was the right time for a band like that because the thing is that I, in my, when I was doing my radio show right through the whole Manchester period, I was getting phone calls from A&R people in London. Basically, you know... They wanted me to do the jobs. Oh, who's coming out of Manchester? In a city like Manchester that was known for, you know, creative talent, you know, I mean, because a lot happened in Manchester apart from, I mean, the first computer was made there, you know, and all sorts of things came out of the city. And the thing is, especially with music, there's always those bands have to be there at the right time. I mean, even a band like Northside, who weren't as good at the Mondays, right, were were able to sell 60,000 albums because they supported Happy Mondays and they were on Factory Records. And the other thing is, the journalists loved Factory, so they would always write great reviews about it. It was a vibe. It was a culture. Factory was just the same. So talk to me about that. Okay, the fourth album, the one that people say brought down Factory, and I'm here to say we didn't. <laughs> Happy Mondays did not bring down factory records. What did bring down factory records? Um, a series of events which started by New Order hadn't done anything new for quite a number of years. Old Order. Old Order. So it was left to us to do an album. Um, Bernard Sumner was off doing his electronic project with Johnny Marr. Hooky says, if he's doing a solo album, I'm doing a solo album. So facts you pay for his revenge album. Tony Michaelides was heavily involved in that project. 
because I was managing Revenge around the, the time when, um, I don't know if it was Pills, Thrills and Bellyache came out, or it was towards the, the end of Factory. And Factory, you know, spent a lot of money on Revenge because Tony was honest. He felt like he owed up here, you know, so they were spending more on Revenge than they should have done. But, right. you know, it, it was a, one member of a band that had done solo. I mean, they don't usually get big priority status and investment for marketing. Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, gets really annoyed when people start saying that the Mondays brought Factory down. What really annoyed me, the way they always blamed them for Factory going under. And that was not the case at all. That was complete lies. That was complete lies. I mean, Factory relied on them. Mm. I mean, them in New Order, obviously. Uh, another series of events. I mean, can we just say we're not dissing Hooky though, because Hooky was never diss Hooky. Yeah, oh, okay. never dissing, but he was. He was furious that Bernard was doing a solo album, yeah. so he wanted to do you one. You can understand that, can't yeah, you? Yeah, of course, I could. I, I, I like that revenge. <coughs> good album stuff that he did. Yeah, yeah, some good stuff on it. Um, so it was. It was an. Oh, a series of events that brought down Factory. Certainly not the Mondays going to Barbados. Around this time, the Mondays did a gig in London and the rock and roll mums always have a really good laugh when they recall a trip they took there with Mark's dad and his lovely late mum, Marlene. We'd not been on the train long when out came the sandwiches oh, and the, the drinks oh, and you sent to Marlene. Oh, Marlene, how thoughtful yeah. of I you. I said, you know, can I you? Oh, no, she said. Uh, <laughs> next door have gone away and I went to check the house and they forgot the drinks and they forgot the sandwiches. So I brought them for us. Bill Sachs, the Monday's former manager, ended up working in A&R for Factory after he managed the Mondays and stayed there until they went under. The reason Factory went under, right, and there's quite a lot of stuff about it, right, but the dynamic of Factory initially was that bands signed to Factory and they were, it was done on indie deals, 50-50 splits. Impressed, I thought, she organised? Yeah. And New Order, who were the ones who brought all the money in, right, and the Joy Division, they did it 50-50 split, but they never did any advertising. Because that's what New Order were about. No advertising. So it was great for Factory. 50-50 split, they were making money. So then... <laughs> We got to London. We got to London. Well, we got we in got the hotel. Oh, God. all of a sudden, oh. you came in to me. Oh, I and said, I don't know what's going on oh, next door to me with Enzo. The first bands that Tony starts signing up, bands like the Railway Children, Northside, the Mondays, etc., etc., they started doing record deals, and the record deals. Because of Tony being so philanthropic, right, they were so weighted towards the bands rather than the company. Oh, we could hear. We're screaming. Oh, oh but Alan, Alan, don't do that. She was on us and said, oh, don't know what's going on. And then what happened was because lots of advertising was going on the Mondays. New Order wanted loads of advertising as well. Right? So what had been a way of making profits became 
a lost leader. Um, and I think partly that was the, the problem. Well, we've wondered. So the next, Alan comes, and not I'd gone into you back then. Yeah. Alan came in and knocked on the door and said, Ken, you see, you can help me next door, I can't get it up. And you went, you won't watch up, because we were hysterical, weren't we? We were hysterical, we were terrible. I signed a band called The Adventure Babies. Everybody in the business was after them. Um, Virgin had given them 180 grand publishing, etc., etc. Everybody wanted to sign them. And I said to Tony, if I can get them for 115 grand, can we have them? Tony said, yeah, great. It was a bloody bed one, <laughs> Not thinking I could get them. And I got them for 115 grand. And then Tony took me for a meal, Chinese, and said, We've got no money. It was one of them that one of these beds that went up and down. Yeah, he tried to get it down and the oh. it just kept going up. That's what the noise was, wasn't it? <laughs> Think now this band need they were like beautiful self they needed promotion we didn't have the money to do any of it marlene was lay on the bed i couldn't oh don't know what they're doing i think they're having an audience something but can't go go and we poor marlene's hysterical <laughs> because the bed was going woo, woo, woo. <laughs> tony thought I was the one who would be, end up being the general manager of Factory. Thank God it wasn't me, because I had no idea what I was doing. But, you know, I would have looked at the finances maybe better. There's something weird stuff went on at the end. But it's not the Monday's fault. <laughs> and he had to come and get Ken yes. to stop the bed. <laughs> stop the bed! <laughs> Here we go. This is Baxter. He's a dandy Dimont Terrier which is a vulnerable breed uh, from the borders of Scotland, has very little legs, a very big head, a long body. He actually has a face. <laughs> it looks like he's got a face. Is that right, Baxter? Uh, and he's just been neutered. Was it not the Hacienda going south? Yeah, but that was going on for years as well. That was, you know, that was new orders money being put straight back into the hacienda. Yeah. You know, and I can see why they was pissed off about it. Yeah. Um, all their money, because the hacienda never made any money for many, many no. years. Not until they never that, sold alcohol. It just yeah. had people getting water because they were all on ease. People getting water and everyone had stopped buying alcohol. Um, but it was, don't forget, it was open for 10 years before that, that rave scene happened. Yeah. And they put some great bands on. Yeah. I saw some mega bands at the Hacienda. And all that was due to Mike Pickering. Yeah. He was the, he was the one booking the bands and he seemed to get bands just as it was about to break. So you'd see them and it'd be like 30 or 40 people in the audience. Can you remember yeah. who you saw there? Oh, God, I saw Simple Minds, Culture Club, Orange Juice. Um, um, oh, God. I saw electronic there. Uh, saw I saw electronic there. Oh, maybe we were there at yeah. the same time. Um, uh, Gil Scott Heron, 
Nico, saw oh, Nico. Wow. That was a weird one. Everyone was just sat on the floor. Really? Yeah, all gouching out. <laughs> I saw loads of bands there. So Barbados, who decided that Barbados was a good idea and why? Um, Barbados was a good idea because there was no heroin on the island. Okay. Uh, was Tony aware that you were on heroin as well at this point? I thought nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was completely incognito on it and nobody, nobody knew, but apparently everybody knew. Cressa, the former Monday's roadie who became the dancer with the stone roses, has his own view of heroin. Well, I've always thought of heroin as being a mistress because you don't want to tell anyone about her. So she's always in the dark, you know, it's always hush, 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 you know. You don't say, oh, hey, look, I'm going, you know, it's... And she's a very seductive mistress. <laughs> she'll be really nice to you, but by the end, oh, she'll ruin you. <laughs> I just didn't advertise it like Sean did. Rowetta was surprised when she found out the details of his problem. Well, everybody had problems in our band, really. So it's just normal. I'd be more surprised if they didn't have problems. But um, with the drug problem, I still didn't realise what his main drug was because I would have thought the one we saw him taking the most would have been cocaine. Um, yeah. And then it's only because I've been out to score with him in King's Cross and I know it's heroin was a problem as well. I really didn't know how bad his problem was. Did it affect the way you played? Did it affect your motivation with the band? Did it have a negative effect on your career in that sense? Just negative effect on a friendship with Gaz. Right. Really negative, yeah. you know. But even in Bar I wasn't on it in Barbados because there was none there, and I wasn't on methadone. So how did you come off it then? Slowly. Before you went to Barbados? Yeah. You knew that you were going to have to get off it? Yeah. How was that then? Was that easy to do? Um, It got easier once we got in the sun, in the sunshine of Barbados, and I was going in to sea every day, hmm. walking down the beach. Yeah. You know, I had like a whole beach to myself. Yeah. Gaz remembers Paul having problems when they arrived in Barbados. We got to Barbados and he was really ill with stomach pains and cramps and they took it, you know, he used to get that with anxiety, didn't he? They couldn't find anything, it was anxiety, but I think it was probably a little bit of missing that as well. I think maybe he just started getting, you know. The first week we recorded drums, so I was stuck in the studio for the week with, with the percussionist and the producers to get the drum. And then we got the bass in and I remember saying to get the, Paul get the bass in on day six to come in and then... Uh, Said, oh, he's got in doing, he's doing the crap, but he still came in and did it. I remember him not being right and, and trying to hide it from me. And I was saying, Paul. Um, so the idea was to go there with a big supply of methadone for Sean, which um, Trish, his then girlfriend, dropped on the floor in the airport in Manchester and it went everywhere. And we were scooping it up. We ran downstairs to a little kiosk shop. We got bottles of water, took the water outside, scooping it up into bottles off the floor, bits of glass in it. Oh. We had to strain it with a pair of stockings once we got to once we got to Barbados to get all the glass out of it. So you know, he had huge five hundred mil bottles and he smashed. So he he hardly had anything, any supply. Right. And um he just went into he went into that self destruct mode. He got some tablets off the then do off the doctor, so he shuffled for six weeks and didn't get any lyrics done. Um, but as as far as 
it being chaos, it wasn't. We worked really hard. The band worked every day from 10 in the morning till 10 at night. And that was Writing produced. an album. The former Monday's keyboard player, PD, has bittersweet memories of that time. It was great. You know, it was studio with the pool. You couldn't make it up. Nice food. Uh, you didn't know it was your last album, but it felt like it's your last song, the way things happened out there. And Bez, too, has some vivid memories. Well, Barbados was uh, quite quite an uh, insane thing. So we went out there because there was supposed to be no drugs there, and obviously uh, uh, there was a crack, a fucking pandemic going on. And it, I can tell you a really funny story, though. One night, me, me and Post had been smoking fucking fingers, and uh, we decided we was going to go to the six rows to get some more. And on the way, we seen uh, Sean's car on the road, upside down in the middle of the road. I said to her, like, pull the car over now. So we pulled over. I said, we'll get the battery, you know, because we could swap it for a crack. So we both got out the finger, popped the... Uh, and he'd already took the battery with him, and it? But uh, the great thing about that album was we got to work with Chris France and Seema Weymouth. And uh, even though that album got slated, I actually thought... It was a really good album. It was one of the best albums, you know what I mean? And, and because it didn't have that modern production what everyone wanted. But when you listen back, uh, you know, it's a great fucking album. And to get to work with Talking Heads, you know what I mean, with, with some of your heroes as well. And, being a, and you know what the funny thing is? I've actually been back to Barbados on holiday. And I can't believe what a great place it is. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It was produced by Tina Weymouth and, and Chris France from Talking Heads, the Bidden Section from Talking Heads, yeah. which was incredible for me. Yeah. That was just like a dream come true. Yeah. I think they did a great job. It's one of it's my favourite album. Yeah. And Gaz Whelan's favourite album. Yeah, I like that. You know, Sean's not gonna like it because Sean was in a bad space at the time. Right. He's never going to like it. Yeah. What about the crack, though? Didn't Sean do loads of crack because there was no heroin? Yeah. just a myth? No, no, he did. Yeah. yeah. And I'm guilty as well. I yeah. did it. Yeah. And PD did it. Yeah. You know. And Bez. And Bez did it. Rowetta didn't go with the boys to Barbados as she'd just got herself a separate record deal. I think I'd, I think I'd, I'd, I'd just gone to and joined Perfecto, Paul Okafor's label, so I had to make it, and Tina and Chris were recording there. Um, 
So no, I'm thinking I'm lucky I didn't go to Barbados. And then um, I think Nathan said they were thinking of getting Debbie Harry. So I said, I'm joining back again. I'm not Imagine Debbie Harry replacing me because Tina, Tina Francis, friends with her. I didn't care who replaced me if they needed a girl, but not Debbie Harry. I fucking love Debbie Harry. So I was like, no. So then all, all of a sudden, my label, my record deal can fuck off. I'm going to my bed. Just call me when you need me. Mm. had a bad accident, didn't he? Yeah, he's a, he broke his arm. He flipped over the Jeep, which was like, um, there was no roof on it, it was, mm, but there was roll bars, yeah. Oh. But he broke his arm. And while he was on the uh, operating, in the operating theater, he got a disease in his bones mm. and it turned to mush. And if he hadn't got back to England when he did, he could have lost his arm. Wow. It was, uh, it was really bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But as far as it being complete chaos and nobody doing anything, it was, it was heavy work. Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, also has fond memories of that time. Everything while I was in Barbados that three week, I've got lovely photographs with Sean. Everything seemed to be fine and dandy when I was around. And I think after I came home, we were hearing these stories and I'm thinking, oh my God, what on earth is going to happen next? Mark got really worried by what was going on. It was just chaos, and I thought, oh, fuck, this is it. I better find a job. <laughs> Tony Wilson, the boss of their label Factory Records, had his own feelings on how drug use affects creativity. This is him talking in 2005, before his untimely death. Drugs come as part of the package in rock and roll, in fame, in celebrity, and... Some drugs you can survive, um, some drugs you can't. I mean, I'm not someone to knock cocaine, but in the music industry, it is the great destroyer of talent. It was, to be honest, to go to Barbados, which was like, you know, the capital of the Caribbean, but we didn't know that. But, you know, you say you've been promoted from heroin to crack. Brilliant. Everyone knows why, if you take cocaine, apart from feeling good for a while, everyone knows why it makes you think that when you're doing crap, it's genius. Because that's what the drug does. But no one has ever established why it automatically makes you do crap. Well, I knew we had the songs. The songs were, they're okay. It was just um, um, the atmosphere that it, you never knew what was happening next. And it's, it's just the reality of the creative industry. and. More and more, cocaine has become the, the champagne of, of the creative classes. And it's strange. It's the one thing that stops you doing good work. Bez would be off gallivanting, killing himself. Sean would be doing the same. Hospital bills. People not getting paid. Producers going on strike or engineers. And this was because we were running out of money. It was bleeding. The factory was bleeding. And we were trying to... Nobody else had put putting a record out. And um, it's something that... I mean, some of the worst drugs, like heroin, do not stop you creating. Really? How was Paul during that time? <clears throat> he was... Yeah, he had issues as well. A great line from Armateatic and... Or Nessoiatic, and one of the great Atlantic guys, which says... 
you know, don't worry about heroin. Some of my biggest artists are junkies. They've been junkies for 30 years. They've been giving me platinum albums for 30 years. Um, he was still playing, but it was a case of Chris and Tina change. It was, it was just getting a bit, like, weird. That's, you know, one of the world's great horror drugs, supposedly heroin. Doesn't stop you creating great work, as anyone who has studied the history of British poetry knows. Because um, we was there for a month and a bit, and uh, we, we, you know, we didn't get the vocals down. But when it comes to cocaine, it stops you producing. And, I mean, I've had... Anyone who's worked in the record industry for any while has had their share of cocaine albums. Um, and I just couldn't see it. This isn't gonna, you know... But uh, I wouldn't even say which mine one was, but um, it was almost as bad as Tin Machine. And... It's not one of those things where they build you up and they chop you down, but we chopped ourselves down, you know. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, Tony did name a cocaine album and it wasn't Yes Please, just in case you're wondering. I asked Gaz what his view was about whether the Mondays were responsible for factory going under. Yeah, not true. I mean, we we kind of got pushed to go and do that album, even though we'd only half written it, because I don't think New Order had done an album for a while, so they relied on New Order and us for a little bit of funding because they'd signed all these bands. So we were pushed into it. When we actually split up, factory owed us money. When the factory went bankrupt, they owed us, they owed us money. Is it just a myth that Sean sold the furniture in the studio for crack? Absolute nonsense. Really? Yeah. Complete wow. bullshit. Where did that myth come from? It came from he was we used to get we used to get the crack off a guy who lived in a hut in the middle of a field and he didn't have any chairs. Yeah. He just had some sponge on the floor. So there was one chair, I think it was next to the rubbish bins outside the studio, and Sean put it in the car. He was taking the big man a chair. Right. And then it just went on from there. <laughs> next thing it turned out to be the whole studio went missing and we sold it all for crack. It was complete bullshit. Really? Absolute bullshit. How did you get on with Chris and Tina? Great. Really good. Yeah. Really, Were they really... pleased with the album? Um, I've never asked them. Yeah. I've never it must asked have been them. frustrating for them that Sean didn't do any... Do you do no lyrics whatsoever? Like nothing? He tried to, and Tina took time out with him in a room on, on their own and tried to get him motivated. But he was just in a, he was just in a mess. He couldn't mm. do anything. Mm. So we aborted the, uh, the mission. And then Sean obviously wasn't doing any vocals. Um, I was getting sense what he, to what he'd... Somebody's came back and, and played me. I don't know if it was on a cassette or what it was. What he'd done, and it was just, um, it was just horrible. It was vile, vile shouting. But PD quite liked them. But I wish the lyrics were being kept on the original suffering and the problems we're having, because he's redone the lyrics, and I think uh, it took the uh, the true feeling. It wasn't nice and it wasn't tuneful, it wasn't any good. Um, and apparently that's the only vocals, they hadn't got much vocals at all, just ranting, but not funny, not not um, po poetic in any way. So, yeah, so they said you probably will be needed, but Sean, they were telling me what happened with the heroin and stuff and he wasn't able to write on crack. So you wrote all the music for wrote all of the all tracks? all the music for all the tracks, took it back to England. Yeah, so we, we did all our bits. It's um, Lingfield in Surrey which was brilliant and um, Horse came there and he came, nobody nobody from the band really came, they weren't allowed because Sean had to get his head down and get the vocals done. Sean went in rehab, 
came out and did his lyrics, and I think it's some of his finest work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Where I did the pain that. start? Where yeah. did the symptoms begin? <laughs> yeah. He's done some great and stinking thinking, best anti-drug song in the world. Yeah. 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 I think it's his finest work. Compliment for your brother. Yeah. Okay, we've got to stop. Okay. Okay, so we're back again. How do you feel about how this is going so far? It's like a very heavy therapy session. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, exhausting. Yeah. It really is exhausting. I went. I went to the hotel last night and just slept. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Just. Probably because I'm talking about myself. Yeah. And it's not really a, a done thing for me. Right. I'm usually very private. Does so. it? Is it bringing up bad memories or good memories or...? Just memories. Memories, good and bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know. Do you feel like you're digging deeper than you're comfortable doing? At some points, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, but because I know you so well... It's kind of okay. Yeah. You know, if anyone else was asking me the questions, I'd probably just clam up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't let you get away with that, though, can no. I? <laughs> All right, so we, we left off the last uh, session talking about Barbados. Yeah. And the recording of Yes, Please. Mm hmm Which um, was very, very enjoyable. I'll say it again. It was probably one of the best times of my career working with Chris France and Tina Weymouth. Why was that? Because I'm such a big fan of talking ads. Yeah. Big fan of talking ads. I remember it was 1977, 78. Adkey came on from work and he said, I've got tickets for, to see the Ramones tonight. And I thought, yeah, hey, great, I'll go and see the Ramones. But we got there early and there was a band on before them. And it's like, well, this, these aren't punk. I don't know what they are. And it turned out to be talking ads. They were supporting the Ramones on a British tour. Wow. So I saw, I saw the talking ads early days. Yeah. And at that very same concert, I found out years and years later through Dennis and Lois, there was a young kid who was with his dad at the same Ramones concert. And Dennis and Lois got him backstage to meet the Ramones. And it turned out to be the guy from the Doves. Oh, wow. When he was like nine years old. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. So when you were working with them, were you starstruck? Were you nervous? I was nervous a bit, yeah. It was like, wow, fucking, I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. But that, it, soon, it soon got down to serious business of writing tunes and jamming and playing in the studio. What are they like as people? Lovely. Lovely people. In what sense? Just nice, kind, encouraging. Very encouraging. Yeah. Were they fans of the Mondays? I think so, yeah. I think they'd definitely heard of us or they'd done the homework. They'd definitely done the homework on us. How did it come about that they were the ones producing the album? Um, I heard a song called Tomorrow People by Ziggy, I think it was Ziggy Marley. And they produced it, and it was a great pop song, really well produced. When we were trying to think of producers for the next album, when Oakenfold and Osborne wasn't available. 
But according to Paul Oakenfold, it wasn't really that they weren't available. Of course I wanted to do it. I mean, you know, wanted coming off of a platinum record, you know, a record that changed culture uh, in terms of bringing dance and indie music together and creating a sound called indie dance that Enemy and Melody Maker always used to quote, say to me, oh, you you know, this sound, this indie dance. And so, of course, we wanted to do it, but there was no demos. It was a recipe. I, you know, I, I know enough about music to know when to do something and when not to. And then drugs were really, really in the mm. mix big time. There's a lot heavier yeah. drugs going on. You want us to record an album with nothing just to go there, and you know everyone's going to go like that. They weren't getting on, so everyone's going to go their own ways. And then suddenly it's down to Steve and I to go, duh, duh, duh. it didn't feel right for me. And I, and I was the one who put my hand out, and I, just, I was like, I ain't doing it. I, 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 it doesn't, we're going to be in trouble here, Steve. It ain't going to work. And that's when, and as I say, I love them. They're great. I'm a fan. But it didn't feel right. Mm. And I'm glad we didn't do it. And Nathan McGough was like, you made the biggest fucking mistake of your career. They're going to be as big as Pink Floyd. And I'm like, Nathan, I want to do this, but you've got to do demos. We've got to figure out what we're going to do. Because if we don't, it's going to turn into a mess. Um, It was me that said Chris Vance and um, Tina Weymouth. Because they'd done this song and it was really good. So me and Nathan went over to see him in New York. Did you? Yeah, we went, went to their house in Connecticut and yeah. stayed the night. Stayed the night in a hotel, but went to their house. Yeah. And um, they had a great big studio at the back of the house called the Tom Tom Club. Right. That was the name of their studio. Huh. And we went in there and saw all this old equipment, and it was like it was great. Love talking heads. Love yeah. talking, yeah. So I can now say I've worked with two in the rhythm section of Talking Ants. Yeah. Which is great on my CV. Do you ever use your CV for anything? No. <laughs> it's just, just there if I need it. Yeah. We talked about you not being a classically trained musician before, didn't we? Yeah. Did that get in the way in the studio with them? No, not at all. Not at all. Because oh. I don't think they're... Um, I don't think they're trained musicians. I think they're self-taught as well. Yeah. Were they frustrated with how Sean was in Barbados? I think so, yeah. yeah. What makes you think that? Well, they never got the job done, did they? They had to kind of hold their hands up and say, we're going to have to fi- finish the session. You can't, you can't do it. Did they then post-produce, when he'd done the lyrics, when he'd done the vocals in New York, did they then No, he did the vocals in London. Oh, so who then put the... Th- Put the thing together. Chris and Tina came oh, over. Oh, right. So they yeah. came back. So they did finish the album. They finished right? the job eventually, yeah. Right. Yeah, after you come out of rehab. Yeah. Was it hard to convince them to do the album? I don't think so, no. Oh. No. Because they'd met me and Nathan. Right. You know. Why was it that you went with Nathan and not one of the others? Um, It was my job. Was it? Yeah. They called you Mondayhead, didn't Monday they? Mondayhead, yeah. Like... Paul McCartney and the Beatles was Beetlehead. Oh, really? Everything was just Beatles, 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 Beatles. That's all that mattered. And and that was the same with me and the Mondays. Yeah. That's like... The band was the only thing that mattered. 
Gaz Whelan agrees. And he was like, so he's like, we'd we'd be doing something. Oh, let's just go out drinking. We'll go out to the pub. He'd be like, we've got we've got, we've got a thingy tomorrow. Well, I'll be all right. And he was quite sensible. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Yeah. Did, did other aspects of your life suffer as a result of that? I don't think so, no. It was just that I was really into the job. It was a great job. What advice would you give to young groups now that are just setting off? Like, what's what's the secret to really getting the success and traction that you need? I don't know about success, but the only thing I can say is just write, keep on writing. Write as many songs as you can. Just right. keep writing and writing and writing and writing, and you'll get better. Right. What about preserving relationships within the group? Because I don't know how you feel about how how and if your relationship with Sean has negatively affected the trajectory of the Mondays. I would mm. argue it probably has. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How would you advise people to avoid that happening in groups? Probably talk to each other, like gentlemen. Right, but well, if you've got a beef with somebody, how how do you get over that? How do you? Probably by talking. Just by talking. We never spoke to. We never spoke about anything like that. It was just like he's opinionated, Sean. His opinion counts to him and him only, and it's the only opinion. You know, right. you can't have a conversation with him. Did the rest of the group feel the same way as you? Yeah, you, you can't have a conversation with my brother. It's impossible. Hmm. And, and everybody else felt the same. Is that part of the magic, though, too? If, if he had been a more reasonable person, do you think that maybe the Mondays wouldn't have had them? secret sauce that they had I think that's probably true yeah, yeah. what that it was part of the magic yeah unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> ruined our relationship but made the band better right yeah interesting even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so you came back from Barbados. Yeah. And then the album got released. It wasn't greatly well received by the critics, was it? No, but it, it was a hit record. It got to number 14 in the charts. Yeah. And um, it was one of the last things to be released on Factory Records before they went under. I asked Philip Shotton, who co-directed many of the Monday's videos, which was the last video that he was involved with for the band. Last official one was Sunshine Love, but the band weren't really involved with it. So the last one was probably um, Judge Fudge, all right, okay. or Loose Fit maybe. And how many years had gone by between the first one and that last one that you did? Three. Three. Would you say they changed as people during that time? Were they different to work with when they got some success under their belt? 
Not in the slightest. I, I would say if they had, because with us, the relationship was exactly the same from day one until the end. It was no different at all. They were exactly the same. And it, that's probably because we didn't hang out together and we weren't, didn't have like all those different weird personal dynamics. We were just, we worked together. We saw each other when we were out and, you know, we got on and trusted each other sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? In a professional capacity. Because they were, you know, people go on like how unprofessional they were, but they weren't really with us because we were, you know, we weren't, we, I, I certainly wasn't taking drugs while I was making those videos because I thought, well, what's, you know, why, why would I do that when we've got to get a video made? Everybody else is off their fucking box. You know, it would be a disaster if I was taking drugs and partying while making the videos, which I know happened with other people, not to mention names, but we talked about them before. Um, but it wasn't, that, that wasn't what it was like. So, you know, if the band were taking drugs, that's fine. If it helps the performance, it doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? So... I don't know how we got into drugs, but but no, it was just a professional relationship, is what I'm saying, and they were quite professional. Once you get them to turn up, as long as you know, and they always just turned up. That was like always, like, are they going to turn up? You know, we did spend one day when after we'd made um, 24 hour party pit, we thought, oh, we've got to do like pickups for this because we've just, you know, the camera went down. We've just got some super eight. We've got to fill in the gaps somehow. Um, so we arranged to film to get them together on another day and we literally drove around for about six hours around North Manchester trying to get the band together and then it went dark and we never did it. You know, we never even got anywhere. We filmed a little bit with Sean in the rehearsal studios, I think, but never got the band together again. So, yeah, it was just difficult communication. But it was a good time all the time for me making those videos. It was everything I could have dreamed of, you know, because, like... I've made other videos and they're never as much fun, really. Favourite tracks off the album? Oh, I mentioned it earlier, uh, Stinking Thinking. Yeah. Great. Sunshine and Love's my favourite. Yeah, you I like that, that one, one, don't you? And it's one Angel. of Gaz's favourites as well. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And um, Angel's good as well. Angel's really good, yeah. yeah. Angel's really good. I think that that album has those real standout tracks mm. whereas Pills and Thrills is like every song is brilliant Yeah, I think yeah. that individually the three songs that st or, or more that stand out on, mm -hmm. on Yes Please are actually better than the ones on Pills and Thrills but oh that's good I think there's like there's one track that doesn't have any vocals on it at all isn't there yeah you couldn't it's mainly PD's uh... <laughs> Mainly PD's uh, little masterpiece that he did, and yeah. I could just couldn't get any vocals for it, so it just ended up being an, our one and only instrumental. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my fa one of my favourite tracks is Total Ringo, um, and I think our kid sings like John Lennon on that one. Yeah. Really stretching his vocal cords. I think he sounds like Lennon after the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. So the album, you toured, You did a tour with that album, didn't you? Yeah, which was, the tour was great. I saw some footage not so long ago, and we was tight, man. We was a really tight band. It was like all the songs was so tight and polished. Yeah. It was all getting on really well. And your addiction was still underpinning everything at this point, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, still, I was still thinking nobody knew, but everybody knew yeah. at that point. Thank you. 
and I got the phone call from Mark Day just as I was leaving my house, I just opened it to lock up. Um, and I thought he was joking, not horses, because Mark Day saying, Ro, got some really bad news. Horses dead. I think he just said like that, and it just didn't seem obviously you don't think because we're about to get on the bus. Um, and then it, it really became quickly, it was obvious it wasn't, it wasn't a joke. Um, that's it. Went to Linda's, um, just sat for ages and spoke to Bez. Yeah, we just in shock. Well, I had to go, I just wanted to um, be with because they said he's still there. Sean was saying we should still do the gig at some point as well. And I was like, I can't, I can't even get on the bus. I sit opposite him or next to him. I, he's either there in front of me with his back to me or facing me. I know all the journeys on our bus. I can't, there's either a table between us or a chair back. I can't travel anywhere today without him being there. It's just impossible. But knowing he's still there, and I was actually hoping his body wouldn't still be there, to be honest, because I just didn't want to see um, a body, but um, Amelia told me to go in and say goodbye to her dad, and I really didn't want to see, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I spoke to him. I was honestly, I was in and out as quick as I could be. I just said, you know, I love you and everything. But he did look like he was still alive. And I'm glad I did now, um, because it makes it real then as well, because you have to know it's real and you just have to accept it's happened. You've got to, and he's not coming back. Otherwise, you go, you go mad, really. It was lovely going there that day, though, and being with everyone, being with his mum anyway. But Amelia, she was just saying, will I ever be happy again? It was awful. And he was very present in her life, so it's just, um, it's horrible. It yeah. still is. Coming up in the next episode. I remember lying there one night thinking, what the hell's just happened? You know, we all knew it was over, but with each other, we was in denial it was over. The guy from London Records had gone and said, if you can't turn up for three million pounds, I don't want to sign them. It was a lifeline. Absolutely fucking gutted. That's it for this week. Please join our very special club and become a patron of the show to help keep these episodes going. Just go to our website for details of the Patreon account and the website is paulrider.tv and also there you'll find our shop with some really cool Paul Ryder and Big Arm merch. Big Arm is the band you can hear right now. It was Paul's side project from the Mondays and this song, Welcome, was finished the night his youngest son Chico was born, hence the name of the track. Please join in the conversation on our social media pages and remember that we're going to be back same time, same place next week where the podcast will drop again at 9pm UK time on Sunday night. Thank you so much for joining us. Please carry on spreading the word about the podcast. Tell all your friends who you think might enjoy it. Thank you to all of our guests. And as usual, of course, the biggest thanks has got to go to the one and only, the late, great Paul Anthony Ryder. I certainly can't ever say I've had a dull life.